Hi, I'm Marcus Ruby, and you're listening to Talking to Teachers, a podcast that focuses on the unique perspectives and challenges from people all across the education industry. Aristotle's arguably most famous concept is that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. But what if those parts do not see the value in each other? What if they have no idea what it's like to function elsewhere, and therefore harbor frustration and resentment that is totally misguided? That is why each week, I sit down with a representative from the education community to appreciate their experience, vision, and concerns in the hope that together, we can become better. It's, it's been a, this year has been a struggle. It I has. think this has been one of the most difficult years um, as, a, like as a teacher and not even student-wise. I mean, I have a handful of tr- really difficult students. But I think just professionally, it's been very, very difficult. Um, It's been difficult for me to navigate my new role. My guest today is Shannon Martinez. Shannon has been a teacher in Texas for over 15 years and held many campus leadership positions. During our time together, she expresses her frustrations as a classroom teacher and her desire to see things change. She exhibits a common sentiment of classroom teachers that feel powerless in the face of an overwhelmingly large institution and the desire to see change. But I think um, the new role has just made it insane. What do you feel is like the largest like part of the stress that's coming in. I think there's two parts to the stress that have come with this new role. Number one, I don't think that even though the, even though the district has set out a very specific definition of what our role looks like. And what is the definition? Just because for everyone who's Man, uh, for MCL, right, we're supposed to be doing 50% teaching, 50% coaching, which right off the bat that's a lie because um we are teaching teaching one more class than any of the other mcls in the entire district i have just as many students as my two counters i only have 25 fewer students than she does even though she has two more classes than i do yeah um so that's one but it's also like we're supposed to be running plcs we're supposed to be providing pd for for our campus um, we're we're supposed to be coaching teachers. We're supposed to be doing walkthroughs and providing feedback. Um, but the reality is, is that just with anything, because our principals and our campuses have such autonomy and we let the principals kind of just do whatever and make their own decisions, which there's obviously, you know, value in that. Yeah. But everyone has taken that to look a different way. I think even each assistant principal has taken that to look a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that um, I haven't been giving enough training to sufficiently start my role. If I've, if you've never been in a coaching situation before, um, the last few weeks, the last few months, we've been into some really fantastic training. Yeah. But we're in like March, April of the school year, which yeah. would have been super helpful at the beginning of the school year. We don't have a culture of having other teachers come in and model and provide feedback that's not an appraiser system. And so um, the resistance from other teachers 
to... Yeah, I think um, that's true. I could speak to that. That, I mean, don't be in my room. Why? What is this feedback? Why are you giving me feedback? I don't like the feedback you're giving me. I don't like how you're giving me the feedback. I don't like the look on your face. I mean, whatever it is. I mean, I can do it nicely. I can do it not nicely. I can do it in a in a in an informal conversation. You know, don't talk to me during my lunchtime. Okay, well, you know. So, um, I think that's been the other issue is just that resistance of teachers. We are just resistant to getting feedback mm-hmm. and looking at data and looking at specific data and looking at specific aspects of our teaching. I think it's hard. Nobody likes nobody likes it. I'll be the first one to say I don't particularly like it either, but I think it's easier for someone who has been teaching in my content for a while, right? I've been teaching 15 years. It's not like I'm brand new. Yeah. It's not like I don't know what I'm doing. It's not like I don't have good scores. So it's not like I don't know what I'm doing. I would rather get feedback from someone like me that's in the classroom every day that is still in touch than someone who has never taught an English class in their entire life. Yeah. I think that for me, it is interesting to kind of hear your side of it uh-huh. because, you know, you can't hear a lot of the other side as well, which is that very, I think, I think people don't know how to have a conversation with an MCL. Absolutely. They feel like, well, where are you in between yes. person that can get me in trouble? And because maybe you don't say anything with the administration, they're saying MCLs. Which may or may not be true. Yeah, exactly. Which we know that that has happened multiple times that I've heard this from this particular teacher. And I'm like, nobody has said a thing. I don't know what you're talking about. But you're exactly right. Why do you feel like it? Why do you feel like I do kind of feel like schools just in general do kind of operate under a fear mentality Yeah, where like everything is like and and I see it in myself because like with the students we do kind of make little lies like white lies that kind of help get them in control and things to go faster Mm -hmm. and then it's so obvious when it's done to us but I don't know I've always thought like why is why is that like our first go-to in leadership styles for school districts do you feel like maybe it's just because the people that move into administration roles were just teachers and they're not trained to be leaders over a certain period of time you know you kind of go from being a teacher to being an assistant principal Mm -hmm. and then because that role is so designated into like testing and to books and everything Mm -hmm. i mean how much people experience are you gathering i mean and the reality is is that you know it's it even though it's been a couple of years since i finished my master's program in admin they teach you about that your best way to I, I manage is not a really good word, but that's yeah. the word that I'm going to choose. But to get things done is to build relationships with people. And that's really the truth. And I think that I don't know why. I, I don't know if it's because that's just like maybe that's their parenting style. That's how they were parented. So that's how they just lead people in general. Yeah. I mean, it is frustrating to tell kids things that you know you can't do. Legally, whatever, like, uh, I'm going to suspend you for the rest of the school year. Well, you know you can't do that. We're 15 days out. You know you legally can't suspend anybody for more than three days. So why say that? So you lose kids, you know, with that stuff. I don't understand why the admin feels like they have to go that way. But there are people who defy, like, "Mm, I'm not doing that on a constant basis. And nothing ever happens to them. And so I think... That's why they have kind of gone to this place of fear, because we have a history of non-compliance. I think it's important to point out that both Shannon and myself are novice podcasters, and we often refer to things that may not be appropriate to share. 
But to suffice, at this point, Shannon began to talk about her time teaching at a school district with a low socioeconomic status and how they had to approach that difficult circumstance. When you are dealing with that, you have to be a team and you have to have this family mentality because you're never going to get it done. Yeah. And we just did. We did what we had to do. We all worked together. If our principal asked us to do something, if our content lead asked us to do something, if the district asked us to do something, we did it. We, I mean, we did data in like 18 different places. Mm-hmm. Like y'all would die if y'all had saw the amount of data that we had to do and what we had to do. Um, but we did it. And it was very helpful. The other p- place that I worked, we were the poorest high school in that district, yet we had the top scores. Wow. Why? I think one of it was our principal. He was just amazing. Um, and then we worked together as a family. We helped math. Math helped reading. Because that, at that point, it was tax, and those were the only two that we had to deal with. It was a freshman campus. Yeah. We And science helped math and reading. And social studies helped math and reading. Like, we all worked together. We all did our part, like, for after-school tutoring, for whatever. And I think that that's the thing. Teachers that are like, I'm only going to do the bare minimum, and that's it. I don't, I think that we, obviously we need to, t- to treat parents with kindness and respect. Perfect example is dress code. Yeah. You Absolutely. stop, let, well, I already bought them. You knew. And when you got at summertime, because we, whatever, you just knew that you're going to bully the principal mm-hmm. into giving in and we don't enforce it yeah. it's just not those kinds of things that we do not enforce they say they enforce it if it was enforced we wouldn't have girls walking around with holes in their pants yeah and i think that that's so difficult to but the reality is is that these are the rules of school yeah and i think that we have gotten to this point where we don't have to follow any of the rules you're gonna get a job you have to come in dress code you know Uh, I don't care if you work at Whataburger. I don't care if you're working at McDonald's. Wherever it is that you're working, there's a dress code. And you have to be prepared. I mean, my husband has worked in the restaurant industry for over 30 years. He, as the general manager, he better not even catch you without a pen. Yeah. Because as a server, that is technically part of your uniform and you signed it in your handbook when you got hired that you would be prepared. That's just... So I think that it's those types of things. Like me personally, I don't care about the holes in the pants, like from your knees down or whatever. I don't care about that. I think it's a waste of time and energy to do those things. But it is this, it's one of those things that it's this culture of Mm -hmm. everybody can really do what they want. And so, but that's what I've been very curious about because I really do think there's a blatant, um, like parting of ways between what schools are doing and the mm-hmm. way students are being reared through schools yeah. and how to interact with society. Yeah. And then once they turn 18. But the, I mean, because of that, because of the way that parents are, I'm going to tell you right now, as a parent with a kid who is difficult and struggles in school with obeying the rules. Okay. I, even if I think that the teacher is 100% wrong, 
I've never, ever, ever said that in front of my kid. Mm. I've always been on that teacher's side. Like, I've already told you, like, if you're going to be disrespectful, if you're going to get loud, whatever it is that he, this teacher has done that is wrong, um, you it automatically made it correct because of how you handled it and yeah. how you disrespected them. On the flip side of that, because I know that there are parents like that, it makes it super difficult for me to even call parents. I don't even want to call parents. For what? Yeah. For what? I, but I have to go through this laundry list of, of items before an administrator will yeah. even deal with things. Having, uh, you can tell me anytime it gets too personal. No, no, no. But um, I mean, just coming from you, your situation. You know me, I'm an open Well, I, yeah, I know. That's why I was like, I don't think you'll mind talking about it. But I would be curious to know, especially being a staff member on campus uh-huh. and then having maybe more challenging experiences, having your own uh-huh. kid on campus. How do you feel? How did you process that? Let me just tell you. I mean, my kid is super ADHD. I feel like he's probably ODD. He's never been um, diagnosed with anything. Mainly because I'm a teacher and my insurance is not that great. And I finally had to back it down to the the least expensive insurance yeah. possible so that I could, you know, I don't know, eat and mm-hmm. um, pay my electric bill. Um, and so mental health for anybody is not a priority. No. Um, and so Nick would get into trouble all the time. And he's got very severe anger issues. Um, and it doesn't matter what you say to him and what you say about part of it too, is that he's definitely on drugs. And, um, I think that's why I don't judge parents and I don't call parents about everything because if that kid is difficult at school, they're difficult at home. And that parent has dealt with them. Like I have where I teach seventh grade. So they've probably been called every day or had something in their folder or whatever every single day for the last seven years and it's exhausting and then you feel like a jerk when you're like i don't know what to do like i don't know how to i can't i can't make him behave you know what i mean and so i empathize with parents like that and so it helps me to be empathetic towards kids it helps me to be empathetic towards those parents yeah you know what i mean yes so like when 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 teachers you know that say, oh, it's the parents' fault. First of all, that don't even have any kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. it makes me just crazy. Like, you know, what you have no clue, like what you're talking yeah. about. But I mean, to me, I definitely try to see both sides of it. I mean, as a teacher, you really can see only one side because you are frustrated with you know your classroom experience and 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 I and I understand like with parents that you know I'm like gosh like it is difficult when they're at home but you just are so like. This can't be happening in my room every day. This is not going to happen. No, and I understand that. But I think we also, the problem, we don't have enough avenues to deal with it in-house. Yeah. Like, there is zero consequences besides suspension, which that's not a consequence for anybody. No, it's not. That's a vacation for them. It helps you for three days. Mm -hmm. But then the reality is, is that these kids that are giving you these problems... I would say 95% of the time are the struggling student and they're just going to have larger and larger gaps because they're out of class. Let's just be real, you know? And so we have no, we have nothing in place, but I also think that we could do some things in house if we could get teachers on board to work together as a, as a family and as a team, but that's, it, but we all complain about the lack of discipline and the lack of this and that. There's three assistant principals and 60 teachers. Who do you think 
is going to have the biggest impact over what happens on our campus. If we would work together as a team, as a grade level team, and maybe have a system in place of how we're going to handle things, if we rotated lunch lunch detention on a daily basis or a weekly basis, yeah, or whatever, or however we wanted to do it, but we we have teachers that want to complain about nothing is getting done, but they're not willing to do it. But I don't know how you're expecting three assistant principals to deal with a thousand students and then handle all that discipline, and you do nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, for me, I definitely, I mean, it's twofold for me. I mean, I'd be curious to get your opinion on it because on one hand, I do agree with you. Absolutely. I mean, I do think that there needs to be an all hands on deck, but I mean, to give my background, I don't, I don't think it's, I mean, I, I believe that workers, I think it's twofold. I think workers should be giving their 110%. They should be going above and beyond, Mm -hmm. but then that's what the system should be doing as well. It's all driven by like your intrinsic desire to help others. Tell me why the head football coach is making a six-figure salary and an academic coach, my stipend is $2,500. Or like if to coach three sports, it's $5,000. Well, I understand it's a lot of time. The salary structure for teachers and the uh, inability to get teachers to be on an individual track career-wise. Instead, we're all on this pay-style well, schedule by years of very, experience. I mean, I think when my husband and I first got married and I first got a teaching job... And we like moved from, you know, from, and I moved district and he was like, and I was like, well, I'm going to take a pay cut. Yeah. And he's like, well, why, why can't you negotiate your salary? I'm like, it doesn't work like that in education. All right. This is me interjecting again, just to say that somewhere the conversation delved back into personal details, which for security reasons, I have chosen to leave out. But what you have missed is that the conversation has translated into incentive pay for testing teachers, which is a pretty common topic in education, and pay scales for teachers in tested subjects versus other subjects, which is also, I believe, a hot button issue in education today. But my point is, is that no, if, I if agree there's with such you. a discrepancy because the amount of work and pressure, mm-hmm. because I mean, I understand that people like bands and are like they have their own competitions and things that they're getting ready for. But nobody is um, nobody. Nobody loses their job or gets moved or mm-hmm. whatever based on if you did, did or did not go to UIL or got a one. Yeah, we we are like constantly being nobody everybody's in our room we're constantly being monitored our lesson plans are being checked Mm -hmm. we're constantly being observed which i mean i guess would be fine if the if it matched the incentive pay absolutely i think that that that's what i mean because i mean it is true like if you go into the business world you go into sales it's Mm -hmm. not like you're gonna lose this pressure yeah you know and i kind of tell myself that because i think about going out you know and i'm like i'm applying for jobs outside of education trying to get out but i'm like the pressure is only going to be more intense And that's what I've come to realize. I have so many friends who didn't go to college or did go to college for business. And when we started teaching, when I started teaching, we were all making the same pay. I was making probably a little bit more than them. But now they're all approaching the 70s, 80s to 100,000 a year. Well, I mean, let's just be honest. I've been teaching 15 years and I'm only making 
ten thousand more dollars a year than what I started when I very first started. Yeah. That's that's who, crazy. Who in their who in the education system? I mean, who outside of education only makes that? I mean, I have furthered my education. I'm currently working on my doctorate, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to be hundred and sixty thousand dollars in student loan debt with wow. the hope that someday I'll be promoted and make enough money to pay off the student loans. And then, of course, with my husband not working the past five years, I've had to work two jobs and donate plasma to make sure I have groceries, you know? What are the two jobs that you're working? Well, I did, I, well, just recently I quit doing the grocery delivery with Instacart, which is super flexible, but it was putting a lot of wear and tear on my car, a lot of gas, you know? And then it just, the way that it has, has, they've changed their structure that it wasn't even worth my time for me to do it. So, I mean, I even downsized into an apartment from my house mm. so that I wouldn't have to work the two jobs because it was just too, it's too much to work seven days a week. I worked seven days a week for probably two and a half years. Wow. Wow. It makes it very difficult to grade. It makes it very difficult to stay on top. You know, like ideally, right? You have an exit ticket, you go home, you check it, and then you're like, oh, okay, well, we need to reteach this concept. Yeah. But if you're going home and you're going straight to another job until 10 o'clock at night, you're not looking. We do want after school tutoring and you need to be doing after school tutoring. We do want one day of Saturday schools where you're coming in and, uh, you know, you're working with students in the morning. So I'm getting ready to buy another house at the end of this year. Right. And um, and so then it just hit me like, you know what, um, I don't really I would love to be able to get money that's not from my savings to put as a down payment so this way i could you know also the price of homes is so expensive right now that uh you you know my down payment is gonna have to be more than than what i previously anticipated so i was thinking about that and when it really came to what i really became interested in was the fact that i began to look at the idea of getting a second job and like a standard second job just something local like coffee or you know something like that and the lack of flexibility in my hours we don't even have the flexibility to get a second job you know what i'm saying because it's like, excuse me. Uh, well, maybe, if you do, you have to do something like ten ninety nine ish, like favor or yeah, Instacart Uber. or Uber. But like to go work at Starbucks, and it's like okay, but uh, well, I, a lot of places I talked to were like, yeah, we we can't really take someone whose availability starts at six o'clock, <laughs> five days a week, and then on weekends my flexibility is, is like after two or three o'clock because they want Saturday schools. Yeah, and that's when I'm like, that's when I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm like, you know, uh, Bloomberg did an interesting article. Maybe it wasn't Bloomberg. Uh, it was an article that I read about just how prices today are so much higher i mean obviously like inflation rates so like for example someone whose income maybe they made forty thousand in the 90s or 80s or thirty thousand in the 90s or 80s but their income was truly maybe 15 percent of their their total monthly paid and i mean not their income their mortgage their bills or or their rent uh and this and right now are more than 30 and so when you look at these type of situations and then that's where i'm kind of like what what is it what's the end game here for teachers because at some point you have to say like cost effective wise yeah what's really happening with us like how are we when my friends who don't even have college degrees are in the 80s and 90s hundred thousand dollars a year yeah and they don't have the student loans they don't have the you know years that i guess to me like my big issue from leaving education is i don't want these years to have been worthless right and i want them to be relevant in my new job but that's, That's not, not happening. The funniest thing ever was when you tried to leave and 
um, and you were looking and, you know, was it a headhunter or whatever? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. And they're like, well, unfortunately, your skills are not transferable to the real yeah, world. I'm like, teachers, holy moly. Teachers do not have transferable skills. I mean, and I, I understand that. Like, literally, like, I mean, I have an English degree. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do with that? Yeah. And my master's is in educational administration and policy studies. What am I going to do with yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. And my doctorate is in curriculum and instruction. Outside of teaching, what am I going There's to nothing. do? Nothing. So, I mean, I don't necessarily feel stuck because at the end of the day, you know, I know that as cheesy as this sounds, that I was called to this job, you know. Okay. I really was. I mean, I was going to go to law school and I literally um, every night for a whole year... God spoke to me and said, no, you're going to be a teacher. You're going to be a teacher. Yeah. So I definitely feel called. And I know that there's other things besides money, but it certainly does help for you to want to give everything that you have. If you don't have to worry about how am I going to, this is week four of my paycheck. I've got $50 to last me until we get paid. Mm. How am I going to buy groceries? You and know, when do especially we get paid? next week. No, we get paid Friday. Oh, okay. But still, the reality yeah, is no, still. four weeks in between. We're the only profession that gets paid once a month as well. Yeah. Like, it's insane to only get paid once a month. And to me, when I kind of look at that type of situation, that's when I start to say, this is really crazy because we're all educated, we're all professionals. And yet, like, we, I feel like as an industry, are the least likely to start speaking up and saying absolutely not. Like, things have to change. Everyone There's to be in this world. Going on, but I don't even and okay, know so if here's my issue with that. But okay. I, I mean, we can talk about this. I'd be curious to get your perspective yeah. because this is like my big resounding argument with education. Okay. And this is what I was saying earlier. Education really has come across as being very, um, almost like a soup kitchen in a sense. Yes. It's very uh, pedestal worthy. When something can be given the uh, title of charity, or then people expect and demand of people and they expect and demand you to go above and beyond without any compensation and then it creates a guilt complex where right. you feel like um well you know i mean i've had people be like yeah well i mean you're a teacher i mean this is what you decide to do almost like it is a calling and because it's a calling and, well, so you i accept- should be punished yeah. because i made like, this choice not to go to law school yeah <laughs> You chose to accept this condition. You knew what you were getting into, and you knew that this was a burden yeah. over a real career. And not only do I think that like that's such a negative concept, and do I think that it's like mitigating the ability of us to be effective in the yeah. long run, but also I think like it's such a bogus thought process because yeah. the truth is it needs to be a career. How do you bring in real professionals? But the, I think I think that's where you. I think that's it right there. Real professionals. Yeah. I we. If you're going to be a doctor, if you're going to go to law school, if you're going to do all these things, there's such high um, standards. standards to get into those schools. And I think that they let any yahoo get into to be a teacher. <laughs> yeah. I, well, let's just, and I know some fantastic alternative sort of teachers, mm-hmm. but let's just be real. 
about that, that you've had no training, you've had no nothing, you've gotten a degree somewhere else, you lost your job or whatever, and you decide, well, I'll give teaching a try. Yeah. And then, which... You know, I'm not. I, I I'm not trying to be offensive to anyone who's in alternative certifications. Mm. But while there's good and bad in both the the traditional route. traditional route and the alt cert, I think that's the thing. I think that because I'm alternative certified. Yeah, <laughs> just I saying, mean, no, I'm you just know what I'm, I'm not taking away, but I get what you're saying. There you is legitimacy, and the reason why is because those districts aren't attracting traditional route teachers. Well, yeah, because I mean, they're, that's, but they're the kids who need the, but they're the yeah. poorest kids and then kids who need the strongest teachers. Yeah, and the title one schools. Do you see what I'm saying? And, and then, but you know, the thing is there has to be more done to attract teachers. Absolutely. And, and it can't come down to a burden thing. So when we were talking about those strikes also, last year, do you remember? Loan forgiveness either. Well, yeah. And I think for me personally, like a lot of the problem that I really have is like last year we did that thing where all of us were forced to color a kid that was going to be like going through like traumatic stress and like domestic violence and these little cardboard cutout kids that we sent to the state as part of our protest. And I thought this is the BS that follows education everywhere is that education is like heavily focused on this um, like the negative, the downtrodden, the low socioeconomic. And then we turn around and our job has nothing to do with that. Our job is looking at spreadsheets and data and predicting predicting trajectories and what we have to look at. Like we predict that these students aren't gonna do well here because of this. And there's like a heavy data side to education. Yeah. That's, that should be the focal point for Absolutely. people. Because that speaks the language of the corporate world. That's what yeah. they understand. And so when their whole mentality is that us as educators, our job is to turn around and to, um, you know, give a kid a pat on the back. That's really great and nice, positive stuff, but that's not the language of the corporate world to help them understand why our compensation is beneath yeah. what it needs to be. Because yeah, I mean, anyone can do that. And that's great. And of course, no one wants a kid that's had a terrible traumatic evening to be treated horrible in the morning that there's some adult in their life that has some sense of stability, but you don't need to pay that person 75,000 a year. That's not what that job requires. But if you walk around and you say, yeah, my job is to pull all of these scores and predict where they're headed, but that I think changes that, that. I think that you hit the nail on the head with that the reality is is that we do not have enough mental health professionals to deal with that stuff i am not trained i can give a kid a hug i can give a kid a pat on the back i am not trained to help that kid deal with that traumatic experience or if they're dealing with mental illness if they're dealing with anxiety if they're dealing with depression i am not trained to do that i can't teach them let's i mean let's just maslow's hierarchy of needs like Mm -hmm. i can't do anything if they're dealing with all of this other stuff yeah and i think the big issue is how is that something that's not factored in like our job is to take the students and give them content mastery Mm -hmm. and once it's taken out of that role we've lost sight of what school is for me which is content mastery yeah you know and i mean we've even shifted from which i mean i do wish we'd go back or have some type of civics class i do feel like we are so heavy loaded on like the extremes of getting the kids the highest math possible getting the kids the highest science possible they um, can't even balance their checkbook. yeah and i'm like it sounds like building a weak foundation for a building you know you ought yeah. to we ought to be concrete in very simple and very necessary daily skills and then kids who move on to college now have a very firm foundation instead of everyone going to college and paying for remedials all over again because well, the truth is I they mean, didn't get that let's in, just in high be school. real that we'll talk about remedial i mean 
the kids, I, I, not even just math, let's just, like for 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 English, because everybody has writing teaks, but because it's not tested, it's yeah. not being taught because it's not being tested. And so they come to us with these huge gaps and kids cannot write. They cannot write complete sentences. They cannot get a, th- a thought across mm-hmm. because they've had zero formal writing instruction. These kids, if they needed to write a strongly worded letter to get anything that they needed, if they needed to send an email to someone, if they needed to send a whatever, which we all have to do on a daily basis as an adult. Yeah. They can't, they don't have any clue how to do it. None. None. I mean, that's even feedback from Ivy League school. And they can't write. They cannot write. They cannot pass an English one comp class, basic class in college at a junior college level, even if they didn't even go to a regular university. First of all, they can't even write their college admission whatever because they are not being formally taught how to write. And I can only do so much. Yeah. Fourth grade, seventh grade, ninth grade, 10th grade are the only times that writing is tested. That's feedback from companies. That's feedback from Ivy League schools, from top tier academic institutions across the state. But nobody wants to just give kids time to read. But it's the extreme pressure of time, you know. And I have to say, even with an hour and a half class where where I, I, this year for the first time, I have hour and a half, 90 minute classes. Yeah. Which I don't, by the way, and I'm teaching reading and writing. Yeah, and that, I mean, I think back and I'm like, God, I don't even know how I was doing 45-minute classes. With a 90-minute class of instruction, I'm doing everything in my power, and all I have time for is reading. So it's like this conundrum of... But that was the same thing, too, that, you know, my administration was like, well, why are we not focusing, like, on writing? I'm like, because we, our focus up until now really has been reading. Yeah. We do a writing component and that's where our ELAR administrator was like well you know that there's gaps in that in that curriculum so why aren't you like adding to it and I'm just like because what happens when our I would want to know from you. Okay. What, okay, I guess coming from a perspective of a teacher, uh-huh. definitely a teacher frustrated by the system. Right. And then also as a parent of a child who, you know, has really struggled, especially academically in the system. Yeah. And then just as someone who's, you say you have a calling for education. Yeah. How do we fix what's going on right now? What do you think are like strategic changes that we could make? What do you aim for in the next <sighs> 10 to 15 My years? My goodness gracious. I think that's a difficult situation. I think that's a difficult question. I think there's so many layers. I think that you probably um, hit the nail on the head is that I think that there's very like sense of continuity in other professions, like professional, you know, like if you're an attorney, you follow these guidelines. If mm-hmm. you're a doctor, you follow these guidelines. I think it's a matter of setting some systems in place that this is what is going to happen. I think it's going to be about allocating money to deal with the mental health issues. Number one, you know, if you're going to be an attorney or a doctor, you have to be in the top, you know? Yeah. And so I think that maybe some of those standards need to be put into place for that. I think it's so many different layers. Yes, I agree that I feel like the money is going to have to lead the way. 
you know, just try to explain. There's a huge percentage of teachers that work two jobs. Yeah. And how do you do meet the demands of what it is that you need to do with grading, lesson planning, um, reteaching, all those things when you leave one job and go to another? It's impossible. And on top of that, like when you think about the fact that our job is not the school day. The school day is like the result of what your job is. Your job is everything that happens outside of the eight hours at school. Yes. And so it's the prepping, it's the grading, it's the talking to parents, it's the looking at scores and making strategic decisions. And I think that like the only compensation for that, I think ultimately if you start by paying us at a competitive professional level but then how do you do that i mean that's what i'm that's what i'm like i want to talk to like state like what do you base on that like test scores yeah and not only that but like budget wise how does a state afford to pay this many people well i mean that's where you get into that school finance issue yeah i mean i think that's where like um my gosh what was that lawsuit it just like you know edgewood versus oh the peter pan I'm not Peter Pan. Uh, um, Robin Hood. The Peter Pan. Peter Pan. One, one of those of, little... One of those fairy tales. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where we're like, property taxes are what are funding our schools. Mm-hmm. How are schools going to be funded? Mm-hmm. And then when you start adding in test scores on top of that, like for funding, mm-hmm. your um, access to funding is based on if how well your scores are. The better you do, the more funding you get. Yeah. I mean, you got to just start with how schools are even being funded. Yeah. Property taxes. Well, let's just be real. Like, you know, some of these parents are not paying property taxes. No. They, I, I don't pay property taxes because I rent. Yeah. And whoever, that's what my question is like, okay, if you rent in an area. Yeah. But the person who's paying property taxes, that property tax goes to their local school district, regardless of where the property sits. And that I don't know. So that I, would be my, I think that's what the premise of the Robin Hood lawsuit was was that so many of the landowners in saisd lived on the outskirts of san antonio and so that's what led to the conflict that they weren't receiving the funding for the lands nearest their schools since those um those landowners were paying taxes to and i think too that there are some people who are like well why am i paying property taxes to fund schools when i don't even have kids in school yeah like why why what is why why am I responsible for funding? Yeah, but I but I think that it's gonna come from an appreciation for teachers being so much more than teddy bears. You know, that that when we go to the front line of education, our big sell to the corporate world can't be, Oh, well, look at us, we um give pats on the backs. So, well, I know that we'll close out because it's almost time, but I want to say thank you so much. I appreciate it. Of course. So I I think like this is my goal to have like a lot of these types of conversations. And then over it, I think like it would be so interesting because you're a teacher in the classroom. You're also a content lead. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in that middle. I'm not really admin, but I'm more than a teacher. Mm -hmm. I'm a hybrid teacher. And your perspective is going to be so different than talking to someone directly in the classroom versus talking to an administrator versus talking to someone who's at the state level. Absolutely. You know, and I think the more you hear conversations, like to me, I always say like, I think there's like an ability of understanding that's just going to come from being able to know why. Like not even that it's going to change anything about your daily routines, day-to-day life or the way everything functions, but at least you have some semblance of why things are the way they are. You know, that would make a huge difference. Yeah. For me at least. Yeah. To, to kind of
Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Talking to Teachers is a podcast centered around the education industry and all the professionals that work together to make an impact in students' lives daily. A special thanks to both my guests today and our sound engineer, Robert Garcia. Please tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time to hear a new episode. Follow us on Instagram at Talking to Teachers. For any inquiries, or if you'd like to be interviewed, email us at talkingtoteacherspodcast at gmail.com, provided you work in the education industry from service to public to private sector. I'm your host, Marcus Ruby. Have a wonderful day, and from all of us here at Talking to Teachers, thank you for what you do for students every day.